What a song. Great songs this morning, talking about us being hidden in Christ. It's so good to gather around God's Word again this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter number 2. Galatians 2. We're going to pick up in verse 11. I know we began our reading in verse 15, but I'm going to get there. Give me just a moment to get there. I recognize that the longer we spend together, the more you get to know about me. Now, you can learn only so much about me from me preaching to you on Sunday. You, you learn my convictions, communication style, things like that. But, but uh, little snippets of stories about my life, you kind of figure out. Um, you, you may not know, you may not be aware, only a handful of, uh, handful of people probably are aware that I was in the marching band in my freshman and sophomore year at South Rowan High School in uh, Rowan County, North Carolina. Um, and I know you're guessing, hmm, you look like a, a piccolo kind of guy. I don't know what you're thinking. I played judgment-free zone this morning, but uh, I, I played the sousaphone, which, of course, is the marching tuba, right? Little guy, biggest instrument I could wrap around me, right? It marked down. Our band director was uh, a former Marine and had served in some of the uh, honor bands for military. And so the band ran with military precision. In fact, for many years, I would wake up in a cold sweat in my high school years, having hearing Mr. Trawick's voice in my head going, Mark time, march, lip, lip. I mean, it was like straight up. It was something. When we would do parades, and some of you in military uh, or even JROTC that have served in that way, you, you know what I'm talking about. When you come to a corner in a parade, you'd have to make a turn. He wanted the lines a certain way. Um, first off, he had zero tolerance. Schools have zero tolerance policies today. He had zero tolerance for somebody out of step. Wouldn't tolerate it. Like, you had one chance and he'd call you out. You'd sit out the parade. You'd have to carry equipment. It was bad. So uh, he, mercy was not his spiritual gift, okay? Anyway, when you turn in a parade, if you keep the line straight, this guy's barely moving, right? And these other guys are taking a little bit bigger steps so that the line moves this way. It takes some coordination. We were like freshmen in school. We didn't know anything. Uh, but he, he equipped us to do that. I was one of the line monitors. And so if we ever got out of line, I would say, God, right. God, right. Y'all can see it now, right? Little military uniform. Big old. Actually, couldn't see me at all. Just the bell of the uh, sousaphone, right? It looked like it was floating independently through the band. That keeping in step was such a big thing. And you know, you've been to parades before, and you see the bands that have got it together walking past you like, no, look at, they've got some training in them. And you see the ones who are like this, you know, just like, hey, I don't have to be here, this is extracurricular. Like, you can just tell. They, their heart's not in it, and they've not been trained, and the expectation is low. Paul uses a phrase in the text this morning about that something being out of step with the gospel. And it's really him backing up this, this case he's building for his life. And I want you to have that picture in your mind of just everything's moving along, but you've got two in the whole group that are out of step. Where, does your, where do your eyes go when everything's uniform, but two people are doing it wrong? They go to the ones that are doing it wrong. Moms, you've put the white sheet out, the pretty white tablecloth out. 99.9% .9 of it is clean, but there's the one spot on the end, and your eyes go there, and you're like, this is ruined, Right? And the guys are like, what? I don't see it. Just put my glass on top of the spot. Paul is pointing us this morning, here's the, really the sermon, that legalism is out of step and that 
hypocrisy is out of step with the gospel. And he gives some great examples here. Let's look in um, Galatians 2. Last week, Pastor Norm led us uh, through the first part of uh, chapter 2 uh, with great skill. It was a great, great sermon last week. And he, he pointed out that legalism is really a, a, it's a problem. Now, we got into the specifics of what they were dealing with in that day in this circumcision group that really wanted people to, to do all the Jewish things. And Norm, that, that great word picture you gave where in, they should have gone to those Christians, those Gentile Christians, and said, hey, you know, if you really want a, 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 more, a richer experience, you may want to do this. They didn't say that. They said, if you really want the goods, you must do this. That's legalism. You don't get to add to what Christ has done. That's legalism. Um, legalism is, is adding to the requirements for salvation. Now, let me just say a word to some of you that, that are legalism sensitive. It's not legalistic to call those who profess a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ to live like they possess a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We should have expectations, reasonable expectations, based on Scripture of what Christian conduct looks like. It's not legalistic to call believers and to expect that those following Jesus would have a life of prayer. A life of faith that's in step with the gospel is marked by a life of prayer. A life of faith that's in step with the gospel is marked by a life in the Word, right? Why? Because we love the author and intimately acquainted with the author. A life by faith that's in step with the gospel is a life that uh, is endeavoring to be the witnesses that God said his Holy Spirit would cause us to be. It's not just something we do or add to our plate. Now, you don't get all this. It's not instantaneous. These are things that are learned. They're discipled, and you see it modeled around you. So, so again, let me just say, as, as Norm did last week, give a hearty amen to that, there are some demands and expectations of the life of a believer. But that's not an addition to the requirements for salvation. Does that make sense? Like, we're not adding to now. If you want to be saved, you've got to do all these things before you can be saved. No, no. That's not what's going on. That's not really what the bulk of the New Testament is about or even saying. In fact, Paul is having to go after it. Like, really go after it here in Galatians 2. Because he's having to clean up the mess. The Judaizers had gone too far, and Paul was trying to bring the church at Galatia back. Let me point you to a familiar passage this morning from Ephesians. I'll put it on the screen. If you want to flip there, you can, but Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Let this frame your thinking this morning for both thoughts that come out of the text. Look at it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So let me give you a summary note of those first 10 verses this morning, just so I can cover all of two. Refer to last week's message for the detail, but here you go. Number one, legalism is out of step. Legalism is out of step. Out of step with the gospel. Legalism is right behavior, but wrong belief. That's one way it's been defined. So we see moral people who have right behavior. Let me, let me take this away from the Judaizers for a moment, bring it modern day. You've got moral people who behave well, but don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not earning their way to heaven by their good behavior. That's not how this works. 
It's faith alone in Christ alone by grace alone. Morality doesn't earn you a spot in heaven. Jesus addressed this in Matthew 17. You've got religious zealots who are folks who behave very religiously, uh, and, and you may find holy living even marking their life, but they don't believe right. They believe that that's required to get them into heaven. That's legalism. <laughs> so, so this thing of, of what looks like right behavior but is tethered to wrong belief doesn't work. And that's your summary of the first 10 verses. The next section, Paul takes on Peter in verses 11 through 14. Here's your second note this morning. It won't move as quickly as the first. But the second note, hypocrisy is out of step with the gospel. Verses 11 through 14. Hypocrisy is out of step with the gospel. It's a very interesting account here. Paul encountering Peter. He's reporting back on what happened. Unfortunately, Peter gives in to the peer pressure of some folks who showed up that want him to act differently than he knows to how to act because it's different than how he believes. Take your Bibles and look at verses 11 through 14 with me. I'll put them on the screen for your help this morning. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him, Paul, to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step, there it is, with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? So this is the reverse of the legalism picture. This is right belief, but wrong behavior. So Peter knows better, right? Have you ever said that to one of your kids? Like, you know better. So this is not an instance to where, like, they didn't know, completely unaware, but they knew better. Peter knew better. How do I know that? Well, first of all, he knew Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't act like this. I mean, put a period in it. That's enough, right? The gospel didn't give him permission to act like this. I guess that would be period number two. But I'm a preacher, so I have several points here, okay? So hang with me. But Peter had this vision while he was in Joppa. He had this kind of, we would call it like a crazy dream, vision kind of thing. Wow, this white sheet and food and all these animals and stuff. And he comes out of it. And, and what happens is the Lord is speaking to him and saying, look, the things that were uh, bound by the old covenant and the law, you're free from. Those things that bound you up, you, you don't... You don't have to acknowledge those things. Those are not required for you to have a living relationship with me, with God. You can go and engage Gentiles and, and have a relationship with them and a meal with them and fellowship with them. And so what does he do? He goes and, and meets Cornelius and evangelizes Cornelius and baptizes Cornelius. And some of the Jews were kind of nervous about that. Wait a minute. He's not Jewish. He's a Gentile. What are you doing? Right? And then they come around and everybody's all on board. Everybody gets it. Paul's teaching uh, the reality of the gospel, that it's the power of God to the Jew first and the Gentile, and Peter, James, and John, we learn all this in Acts, Peter, James, and John are on board with that. They could fellowship with Gentiles, they could worship with Gentiles, they were having meals with Gentiles, everything seemed to be heading the right direction. Peter had already begun fellowshipping with Gentiles while he was in Antioch, but then 
these, allow me a little indulgence here, these influencers showed up, right? Social media is replete with influencers today that are trying to set the tone of what's acceptable and what's normative, and they're trying to say, look, if you're not doing this, you're just so far out of it, you don't even know what's going on, right? You need to be doing this, you need to be doing that. And so these influencers show up, they walk in the room, they start engaging Peter. He had been honest about so many things, but God gave Peter a test of honesty in relationships, and he failed. I failed there too. Have you ever failed there? Like the Lord gives you an opportunity, just tease it up for you to be an authentic, like really, and you're just like, oh. Even as an adult, we can succumb to peer pressure. Peter, just for fear of his reputation with folks that he had been liberated from, decides to be hypocritical in the moment. He made a conscious choice to do something different and the opposite of what he knew to be true and that he believed. And he knew there would be consequences to it. That's hypocrisy. I'm not talking about when you know to do right and you blow it, right? You sin, you're like, oh man, that was sin. I shouldn't have done that. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I, that was sinful of me. That was my pride. Please forgive me. It's not what happened here. Peter's like, uh-oh. Now they've come in. He premeditated, decides to behave in a way that is inconsistent, out of step with the gospel. And Paul calls him on it. These folks went in and say, hey, Peter, you're not hanging out with these people, are you? You're not hanging out with those people over there. I think Peter forgot Proverbs 29, 25, which says the fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is saved. I'm going to do my best to encourage some young people in the room in just a moment, but let me, let me finish this thought with Peter. This is the same Peter that forgot this same verse when in John 18, three times he was engaged by three different people and denied knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. They came up to him and like, aren't you with them? Nope. No, 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 no. Hypocrite. Wait, wait, wait. You sound like them. Nope, nope. That's not me. But, but you're with Jesus, right? No, 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 no. So this is a struggle in Peter's life, isn't it? He cares too much about other people's opinion of himself. Well, you talk about bondage. Look at this verse. This is an Old Testament verse. The fear of man lays a snare. When you are so concerned with what others think, that you're willing to adapt your behavior to suit them instead of being true to what you know is the life-saving truth of the gospel, that's a trap, and it'll catch you every time. You're safe with the Lord. Let them jeer and sneer. You are safe with the Lord. They would rather, I know this sounds crazy, but if you're wishy-washy and you fall in every time, there's a little bit of peer pressure to do something and you play the part of a hypocrite, they'll know you can't be trusted. They'll have no confidence in your testimony when you say, you know what, I shouldn't have done that. They're like, no, you do it every time. Listen, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man, Psalm 118 says. Young people, I know that you're tempted. I know it's coming at you in ways that your parents didn't have to deal with through the influence of media at the rate that it comes in today. I know that you're tempted by your friends who have access to you now 24-7 through messaging and different things. I get it. But let me ask you a question. 
What voices are making you feel uncomfortable? What voices are tempting you to behave in a manner that's not what you actually believe about the Lord Jesus Christ? What voices are tempting you to be hypocritical just to look for approval of a small group of people in a moment that you're willing to trade your testimony for? Adults, same question. Who locks you up when they walk in the room? The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 17 through 19, don't envy sinners. Always continue to fear the Lord. You will be rewarded for this. Your hope will not be disappointed. My child, listen and be wise. Keep your heart on the right course. Young people, peers, seasoned saints in the Lord. Keep in step with the Lord in his way. Don't compromise in the moment. It is never worth it. Legalism is out of step with the gospel. We're like, that's right, it is. I don't like legalism. So is hypocrisy. It's a big deal. Peter's actions in this moment could have had incredible consequences if Paul wouldn't have been there. I mean, look at the consequences they had. Look back at it, verses 11 through 14. The, the church at Antioch was impacted. Barnabas was fooled into joining this camp. Uh, this was a crisis that held great danger for this young church. It could have caused a serious division that would have taken years to undo in developing factions between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Even worse, it got in the way of the gospel and an evangelistic effort. When we behave in ways that are inconsistent with the truth of God's word, when we premeditatedly make a conscious choice because of who's in the room to hide the light of the gospel, Listen to me, we are influencing others and we're pulling them away from Christ. Ouch. Aren't you thankful we serve a forgiving and awesome God? Paul calls Peter out and their relationship heals. You can see it later on play out in the New Testament. They got along. This wasn't the end of their friendship or anything like that. Paul called him out on the basis of the gospel. Remember, why is Paul going through all this? You're like, why would he put that in Galatians 2, talking about living by faith? Well, he's having to make a case to these Galatians because these Judaizers have come in and said, hey, who's this guy? He's trying to, he didn't tell you all the gospel. Paul's saying, no, no, no. He's unpacked the gospel for him. He showed them there's no other gospel. Now he's giving his credentials to say, look, I've even confronted people who tried to hide the light of the gospel. The Bible clearly indicates to us this morning that legalism is out of step with the gospel, that hypocrisy is out of step in the gospel. And so now we shift gears to see how we keep in step with it. You ready? I know some of you are teeing up the George Michael tune, but you got to have faith. That's for four of you. I see you smiling, shaking your head. It's faith. Faith. Faith is in step with the gospel. Let's encourage our hearts this morning by the text that was read as we got ready. Faith is what keeps us in step with the gospel. Paul appeals to the truth of the gospel. It's so easy to get out of step, but look at how, I just want to tell you, what gospel living looks like. We just focus on the Lord, Galatians 2. I'm going to just put the verses on the screen. I'm not going to read them, but you can look in your Bible and follow along. I just want to bring some things out that are there. In verse 16, he does a great job. He repeats himself a couple of times, which means it must be important to tell you we are not justified by this. 
So he's talking about our justification, and I'll define that word in just a moment. But Paul says, look, we are not justified. That means made right with God or stand righteous before God. We're not justified by obeying the law. That's not how this works. He, in, in this verse, he says nobody will ever be justified by obeying the law. We are justified because of faith in Jesus Christ. Period. That's it. Verses 17 and 18. Our sin doesn't undo Christ's justification. Paul tells the Jews here, even if they find themselves among sinners, it doesn't change who Christ is or what Christ has done. Even if some folks teach them wrongly, it doesn't change the teaching from Christ and the gospel. If we trust God with our salvation, then try to live as though our acceptance before God is based on our efforts, we're doing it wrong. He's saying, I can't go back and rebuild what, what's already been destroyed. I mean, Christ has come and, and torn down that wall of separation. Why would I try to put a wall of separation back? I'm doing the work of a sinner when I do that. Verse 19, we couldn't live by the laws, so we need to acknowledge the fact that we have died to the law. The only way to live for God, the only way to keep in step with the gospel is to realize, it's not a fantastic thought today, it's not popular, but listen, we are lawbreakers. Hello, fellow lawbreakers. Welcome. It's a room full of convicts this morning. I mean, really, that's, we've all been convicted by the Holy Spirit, those of us who are in Christ. Here's the thing, though. We've been convicted and found not guilty because of what Christ has done. It's remarkable. So much packed into this. We live for God. We keep in step of God because he is the one who became our righteousness for us. Verse 20, wonderfully familiar passage. You know it. In fact, I'd like you to say it out loud with me together. Let's read it together uh, just to one another. Ready? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow. Christ was crucified on the cross for us. He knew no sin. He was sinless, spotless, virgin born, fulfilled God's law and demands with perfection, and then laid down his life on the cross, bearing your shame, my shame, your sin, my sin, your guilt, my guilt, and died. Was buried in a borrowed tomb and raised to life on the third day. He ascended to heaven and presented his blood as a sufficient sacrifice for all of the sins of humanity. For those that would put their faith and trust in him, the debt has been paid. He was crucified for us. And if we are in Christ... He absorbed all of the wrath of God that we should have gotten. He absorbed our punishment. We get the benefit without having to endure that suffering. Paul is describing, watch this, both the reality of being in Christ and the desire of the believer to be identified with Christ. Theologians refer to this as the doctrine of justification. Big word. The root of that word appears so many times in the New Testament. It's been referred to as a mega word. <laughs> I mean, it's a big deal in the New Testament. 
Here's a simple definition that might help you. It helped me. It's the gracious act of God by which God declares a sinner righteous solely through faith in Jesus Christ. Let that sink in for just a minute. Declared righteous solely through faith in Jesus Christ. How can that be? I know me. I know some of you. How can that be? Well, I can't look at you and figure it out. I can't look at me and figure it out. All I can do is look at the cross. This is the beauty of it. Well, what's your verse for that, Pastor? Glad you asked. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by our good works. Nope. By keeping the law. Nope. By living righteously. Nope. Since we have been justified by faith, we've gotten peace with God. We have a right standing with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The holy judge of the universe takes a sinner, that's me, who was in willful rebellion. Understand that. Like I knew that sin was bad and I chose to sin. Willful rebellion. I deserve only a guilty verdict. And he puts his arms around me and says, not guilty. What? Justification is the opposite of condemnation. <laughs> Does that take you to Romans 8? There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ. This, this doesn't make any earthly sense. You're absolutely right. It includes God's once-for-all forgiveness of sins and His unchangeable declaration that we are righteous in His sight. You are at peace with God when you are in Christ. You are not guilty anymore because of the work Christ has done. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the good news, and it's solely through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me explain it to you this way. It's a little story that's going around for years. I love it, though. Came across it this week again. This story is told of a man who purchased a Rolls Royce. He was a wealthy Englishman and wanted to take the new car to France. Now, he bought this car that had been advertised as the car of all cars and a completely problem-free automobile, guaranteed problem-free. You got to love that. I mean, is that even a thing? When he got his car to France, it broke down, so he called Rolls-Royce in England. And I will probably struggle to say that again. Rolls-Royce. He called the company from England, right? And says, hey, my car's broken down. They put a mechanic on a plane, fly them out to France, goes to where he is, fixes the car, up and running again. The mechanic says, thank you, sir. Gets back on the plane, flies back. Weeks go by. Months go by. No bill. He calls. Hold on. Rolls Royce, he calls them on the phone and says, look, I've got the money. I'm happy to pay the bill. They pull up his account and say, sir, according to our records, we have no record of anything ever going wrong with your car. We only sell reliable cars that never have any trouble. <laughs> and there's no bill to pay. Ridiculous. That's what Christ has done for us. He has taken our sins from us when we are in Christ and buried them as far as the east is from the west. That's kind of, you can't, like, you can't do that. But he's done it for us. 
This is what happens when we believe the gospel. This is what happens when we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive his forgiveness and his righteousness. God looks at you and says, I have no record, no record of anything ever having gone wrong in your life. You are under the blood. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Give me one moment here to chase this little side note that's coming up. This, though, this doctrine, this teaching, and this verse, sometimes this thought of faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, has resulted in some teaching that's been referred to as cheap grace or easy believism. Now, if you're young in the faith, those may not resonate with you. But essentially, they say, listen, all you got to do is just say, uh-huh, when we tell you some things and you're good to go, right? Just sign the card. Just say yes. Like, please, just say yes. Just do this. Okay, good. A friend of ours who's here this morning was at a church service. I forget which state it was in, Autumn, that you told us about. I wasn't going to say your name, but I did. Um, and, and she said that they gave this uh, invitation, if you could call it that. I don't want to butcher it totally. But they gave this real kind of thin Jesus wants to make your life better. And they said something like, hey, just hold your hand up. If it was some weird thing, like there were multiple people, like you'd have been confused as a believer. You're like, do I, I don't, yes, I want free candy corn or whatever it was. I don't know what the invitation was. So they held her hand up and like, and the guy was like, boom, look at all these people God just added in the kingdom. Uh, okay, hold on a minute. Wait, what just happened? So, so this easy believism, this cheap grace, that the, Really, that Galatians 2.20 undoes that because I want you to notice something. It's not just saying, uh-huh, to an intellectual thought about Jesus. It's not giving mental assent just to the facts of the gospel. When we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, watch this, that verse, Galatians 2.20, we are making a declaration and experiencing the reality that we are dead to ourselves. It's a big deal. Yes, it's faith alone, but the result of that faith alone is that we identify we are dead to our sinful self. We die to self. That heart of stone that you had is crushed. That pride that you had is shattered. That life is now surrendered. This is a picture of what running into Christ for mercy looks like. This isn't cheap. It costs the dear Son of God his human life on the cross and yes, it is free, but living for Jesus could cost you everything. It's worth it. Worth it. If we live by the Spirit, we keep in step with the Spirit. Romans 6, 1 through 4, another thing that just kind of shatters that way of thinking, like it's just going uh-huh to stuff. Romans 6, 1 through 4, what shall we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Meaning, should I live indifferent of Christ? I said yes to Jesus, but I don't have to change. Nothing's going to change in my life. Paul's saying, no. How can we who died to sin still live, love, relish in sin? Don't you know that all of us that have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Now, here's something you hear at baptisms. <laughs> we were buried, therefore, with him into baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by glory of the Father, we too might walk in the 
newness of life. What a passage. Paul's desire here for the church at Galatia is to be in step with the gospel. Paul knows what his life was like when he was out of step, and Paul and the Holy Spirit and God himself present with us this morning wants us to walk in step with the gospel. Brother or sister this morning, I want to encourage you. Hallelujah. All of your failures, all of my failures do not define me nor do my acts of goodness. I have been crucified with Christ, and now he is my identity. Hallelujah. Every day, you and I stand before God. We can talk to him, not on the basis of our righteousness or performance, but on the basis of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Once you're in Christ, you don't have to flit in and out of God's love. That's not how this works. You are kept by the power of God, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and Christ's sacrifice is enough. Hallelujah. Now, here's a personal invitation to those of you who are not yet in Christ. In Galatians 2, verse 20, of all the language that Paul uses, he's usually very global in his scope, but he got very personal there. In verse 20, he said, I do this by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The gospel is for everyone. We want to reach our neighbors and the nations. That's familiar language in the 30 plus years of the legacy of Grace Covenant Church. But I want to tell you this morning, very personally, Jesus loves you. You. God is passionate about you. Jesus paid the price for you. He gave himself for you on the cross. You didn't earn it. You can't keep it. It's by grace alone, God's goodness. Through faith in Christ. This is what it looks like to live by faith. I'm going to ask Julia to come this morning and let's thank God that this is a gospel of grace, not a law book of rules that we have to keep and hope for the best. Let's pray. Father, for those who are in Christ this morning who have taken on burdens that you didn't give them, and feel as though by their usefulness or their activity or, um, God help us, all of us, Lord, their good days and good works, that they are somehow closer to your love or they've earned more of your love or more of your favor. God, I just pray that you'd melt that away from us with your word this morning. Your love never changes. That said love chases after us and it is with us and we are not... Uh, loved by you because we're useful to you. We get to be used by you because you love us. You love us on our good days and our bad days, and we are standing in the righteousness of Christ. Lord, we're not here to earn your favor. Jesus did that on the cross. Thank you for that.
Father, for those who are thinking they've got to get their life straightened out completely before they can become a Christian, I pray the text this morning has shown them they've got it backwards. Lord, they just need to come to you, to throw themselves on you, to trust you, to put their faith in you as the way maker, the sufficient sacrifice for their sins so that they can stand right before you. Lord, you will make all things new. We don't have to do that. You do that. Thank you for grace. Help us to walk and live by faith in grace through Christ this week. In Jesus' name.